Okay, so we know that there's a, a principle that goes back to the Sefer Yitzir already. Many Swarm discuss it, is that note siphon betchilasan utchilasan v'siphon. That ends and beginnings are tied to each other. The beginning and the end of something are always connected. So, in Parashat Kisisa, the Parsha begins with the mitzvah of the Machsa Shekel. Pasuk tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu is commanded and so on, that every single Jew has to give a Machsa Shekel, half a coin. And that was given, obviously, as a donation to the Mishkan, to build the Mishkan. And as we know, not just were the, these weren't just you know money given uh, to fund things, but it was specifically to build the Adonim, the sockets, the very foundation of the Mishkan itself. So that's how the parsha begins with the mitzvah Machsa Shekel. Now the parsha ends with the story of Moshe Rabbeinu uh, receiving the second luchas after the whole mice of the eagle and so on. So he davens to Hashem and he uh, you know and he awakens the Yud Gimel and the Rabbanu Shalom gives him the second luchas. So the parsha ends that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second luchas, and going forward, Kikarin Arpene Moshe, that Moshe Rabbeinu's face was lit up. There was a, a light that came from his experience of, uh, you know, in Harsina, from that, the Torah of the second luchas. There was a, a light that was shining. And as the Pasuk says, um, that the, pro, the, the, the issue was... <clears throat> Since Kikaran Arpanav, Vayir Megeshes El Pasuk says, Vehine Kikaran Arpanav. It says in Pasuk that the Jewish people saw that his face was shining, and they were afraid to come close to him. They couldn't approach him. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't tolerate the light of Meishar Abenu. They felt overwhelmed and frightened by it. So the Pasuk says, "This is how the parsha ends." That Vayichal Meish Midabritam Vietein Al Panav Masva. That Meishar Abenu put a veil of some sort over his face to hide the light, to diminish the light to allow the Jewish people to be in his presence without being overwhelmed. And that's how the parasha ends. Okay, so here's our number one. We know, again, as I said, ends and beginnings are bound to each other. So what does Machsa Shekel have to do with this inyan of the uh, veil of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Masva, over Moshe Rabbeinu's face? Okay, that's our number one. Our number two. When it comes to Machsa Shekel, let's focus on that for a second. So Machsa Shekel, we know, as I mentioned, that's the donations that needed to be made in order to build the foundation of the Mishkan. So the, the obvious question, it goes without saying, that Ulm Farshim talk about it, Rashi himself, why does it have to be a Machsa Shekel? Why half a coin? Why half a coin? Uh, it's not an issue of the Rabbanu Shalom trying to make sure everyone can afford it, uh, you know, that wasn't the, the point. So why Dafk Machsa Shekel? I would think that in order to build a Mishkan, it should be with something that's a Dover Sholem, something that's complete, that's whole, like a whole coin. Even if it's a, you know, a low denomination, but at least a whole coin. Seb is Machsa Shekel, why Machsa Shekel? Okay, that's another question. And then focusing on the Masve, on the veil of Meish Rabbeinu. The issue is that I, I think it goes without saying, we all understand that the light that was shining off of Meish Rabbeinu's face is a light, a ruchni is a light, it's a spiritual light, it's a light of Kedusha, the light of Kedusha Hashem, Kedusha Moshe. <clears throat> so the question is, how could a physical veil somehow hide the spiritual light of Moshe Rabbeinu? So it must be, it must be, I think it's obvious, that when Moshe Rabbeinu puts on this physical veil that's called Masfa, Mem, Samach, Vav, Hey, it must be like everything else that Siddiq can do. It must be a physical act, which is really trying to uh, awaken some kayach, some ability that's in a spiritual place. The Rabbanu made our world and made the Eden in such a way where we do physical things and it has an impact on high. So the issue over here of the light of Moshe Rabbeinu, that they're on, the Jewish people are able to receive it, there's some sort of issue with that. And Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to fix that by putting on the Masveh. So the question is, how does the Masveh work? Again, it's not a physical, it's not hiding a physical light. So what exactly are the mechanics of this Indian of Masveh? Okay, so these are the questions uh, you have to think about. Okay, so let's, let's put that to the side. By the way, before we get to that, it's also interesting to note, that both of these inyan and both of these sugyas of Machsa Shekel and the Masa, the veil, the, 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 the cover of Moshe Rabbeinu's face, are both negate to Purim. For example, the Gemara says that the, you know, Aser Salofim Kikar Kesef, the 10,000 pieces of silver that Haman used to buy uh, permission from Achashverosh to destroy the Jewish people, so Chazal say that the Rabbanishim was Makdim Rafulamaka, he brought the cure before the sickness, and he gave us the mitzvah of Machsa Shekel. 
of Machsa Shekel, which every single year by the Jewish people there will be donations made to the Beis Hamikdash from a Machsa from 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 Shkolim. But the original Machsa Shekel is from Parsha. So you see that Machsa Shekel is somehow the antidote to Haman. And the Indian of Purim, which is the celebration of his downfall, is also connected with the Indian of Masva, of Avail. We know that it's a very old minig, the Shulchan Aruch already brings it down, of wearing costumes on Purim, of hiding one's face, of concealing, of wearing, of wearing uh, costumes. So the Indian of Masva, obviously, it's not like Moshe Rabbeinu was wearing a, you know, he wasn't wearing one of those, like, you know, sunglasses with fake nose and mustache, you know what I'm saying? But the... Uh, but the Maisa, the Indian of Masa, the Indian of Avail, and, a con- and concealing one's face, that's a Purimdika Indian. <coughs> so, I, you know, so obviously these two things are bound to each other, like I said. And so the question is, what do they mean, each one, and uh, how are they connected, and how does it relate to Purim? Okay, so let, let's investigate uh, what seems to be a completely different topic. We'll, we'll get back to, uh, to those in Yanam soon. So we know that every single day in davening, the, at least by Shachris and Mincha, uh, davening Shmanesra is really broken down into two basic uh, parts. There's what we call the Shtil Shmanesra, the quiet Shmanesra, that every single individual person davens. And then you have what's called Chazar Sashats, right? That the Chazan repeats over the Shmanesra. So the question is let's, let's investigate that in Halacha for just a couple minutes. What exactly is the source and the Indian of Chazar Sashats? Why does the Chazan repeat Shmanesra? So if you take a look at a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, uh, towards the end of Maseches Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara tells us it's Machlokas Tanayim, but the way it, it comes out, Lahalacha, the Gemara tells us that the basic reason for Chazar Sashatz is, as the Gemara puts it, Lahaitzi Esmi Sheinabaki to be Mitzi some people that were not experts. What does it mean? It means that really the way it's supposed to be is everyone should daven their own Shmanesra, and that's how they're here to daven. But the problem is there could be some yidden that are not bikim, they're not experts, they don't know how to daven. Again, bear in mind, uh, during the times of Chazal, there was no printed sitter. People had to know Shemun usually by heart, and so not everyone knew it by heart, not everyone knew how to read. So you could have people in the shul that Pasha don't know how to daven. So in order to be mighty them, so the Chazan gets up and he davens Shemun again, and he has those people in mind, and everyone's Yaitzi. That's the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. The truth is, though, that when you look in the Rishayim and the Achreinim, it's clear that if that was the only concern, that would not be enough of a reason for Chazal to institute Chazar Sashatz. Even though it's true there might be some individuals that don't know how to daven and they could use the Chazar Sashatz, that wouldn't be enough of a motivation to establish this new idea of davening Shmanesri, the Chazim repeating it. That wasn't really, uh, it has to start with something else. So the way the Rishonim and Achorim explain is that the truth is the Takana of Chazar Sashatz, this enactment, was really in two stages. Again, I don't know if, not necessarily where it was it in two stages like time-wise, but conceptually there's like a foundational Takana of Chazar Sashatz and a second level of Takana of Chazar Sashatz. Let me, let, me, let me share with you, uh, again, this is something that many Rishonim already mentioned, but the Aruch HaShulchan um, and Hilchas Tfila, so he says it very succinctly and very clearly. So he says like this, he says, Demixas chazar sashatz behechrach, gam beloitam da'ina bekim. Says Aruch HaShulchan, first we have to know that even without the issue of some people not knowing Shemonesrei, at least a, a, a condensed, a short version of chazar sashatz all, it definitely had to be said. The original Takana of Chazar Sashatz was for sure in place without being for a concern of people that don't know how to dive. Vahainu, what do I mean? So he says like this, Gimel Rishayinus L'Kedusha, the Gimel Achrayinus L'Birchus Kahanim. Says Aruch HaShulchan, the original Takana of Chazar Sashatz was to say the first three brachas of Shemonesrei and the final three brachas of Shemonesrei and not the middle ones. Not the middle ones. And the reason for this is very simple. The first three brachas you have to have in order to have Kedusha. We want the Tzibur to be able to say Kaddish, 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 you know, Kedusha, which is in the context of the first three brachas. So, therefore, Chazar, the original Takana, the, the initial, the foundational Takana of Chazar Sashatz was that for sure we have to have Chazar Sashatz for the first three brachas in order to have Kedusha. And we have to have Chazar Sashatz for the final three brachas in order to have Berchus Kahanim, because Berchus Kahanim also 
uh, the way it was supposed, the way it, you know, not by Ashkenazim, but the, most of the times, but by uh, by Sfarzim and so on, that there's real dochening in Eretz Yisrael, real dochening, that has to be in the context of the final three brachas of Shemonesrei. So the fun, the foundational takana of Chazar Sashatz was first three brachas and final three brachas, but the middle middle brachas of all the bakashas, all the requests, atachayinin, ashivenu, and so on, that wasn't necessary. But and now, now says the Archa Shulchan, Vekiv and Shetiknu, once they were misakin to do a chazar sashatz for the first three and final three, and now they recognize that their taka are some yidden that didn't daven shmon esrei because they don't know how to read. So memela will say that for those yidden, you know what? Let's do a whole chazar sashatz. Let's do the whole thing. Put the middle brachas in there as well. So he says the kiv and the gimel rishonis or gimel rishonis chayv. Since first the first three brachas and final three brachas were established as an obligation for all yidden to hear, because you have to have kedusha and berachas kahanim. The lachin take new ligmar kolim tzayis. So memela on top of that they they instituted the next stage, which would be to even say the middle brachas levli lechalik betakana in order to uh, even the playing field even for those yidden that didn't daven on their own by the quiet shmonesrei. So that's the the chiddush of the aruch Again, it's a, it's not his chiddush. This goes back to earlier rishonim as well. <coughs> so the, fine, that's what he says. Now the the question we have to think about though is this idea that chazal are willing to theoretically create a shorter version of Shemonestre that only consists of the first three brachas and final three brachas needs explanation, because that's really what the Aruch HaShulchan is saying, is that there's, there's this theoretical, you know, shorter version of Shemonestre, which was the initial takan of Chazar Sashatz, of first three brachas and final three brachas. It just happens to be, since their taka are yidden, that are not bikiim, and they need the full Shemonestre anyway, okay, fine, so once we have those six brachas in place, we'll add the rest, you know, uh, also. But the question is, where do we get this idea from that, that, that there's a shorter version of Shemonesri like that? The Allah is, if you're diving Shemonesri and you miss and you skip one of the brachas, you're not yet to the whole thing. You have to go back and dive in the whole thing again. So where's this idea coming from that there is even a concept of there being a shorter version of Shemonesri that Chazal were using for Chazar Sajats and just happens to be, you know what, we'll go, to the, we'll go the extra step and make it a full version of Shemonesri for those of that are not Bikiyam. Where do we get this idea from? So the truth is, you know, if we investigate it, this concept of there being a Shemona Esrei that really just is of the first three brachas and the last three brachas, we see this actually going way, way back, way before Chazar Sashatz. It's like this. We know that um, historically the Siddur that we have, with all the, the text and the Nusach and all the brachas that we make, everything was, the Rambam already says this in Hilchus it was all established by the Anshek Nes Sagdayla, right? So that was the leadership after the destruction of the first base of Migdash. So the Rambam says, before that people daven on their own with their own personal expressions and so on. And Anshek Nes Sagdayla came and saw that people were not able to do that anymore. And so they came and instituted a formalized version of the Siddur, a Nusach, a text, and so on. That's where Shemonesri comes from. So, but the truth is, the truth is that we do have we do have nuschayis, we do have versions, uh, we do have sources, I should say, of there actually being a text that existed before the Anshik Nesagdayla. Before the Anshik Nesagdayla. The Anshik Nesagdayla did not just out of thin air create an entire nusach of davening. It was not from nothing. There was a basic text that they were working with. There's a tshuva that we find in the Ga'inim. The, the tshuva's Ga'inim records the following thing. I'll share with you just a couple lines. The questioner asks the following question. He says like this, He quotes the Gemara that I just referenced, uh, the Ramam quotes, that Rabbi Chia Bar Abba said, and then Rabbi Yechanan, after the destruction of the first base HaMikdash, they were the ones to establish the Nusach of Davening, the Nusach of Brachas, and so on. So the question that the person asked, the Gainim, is before the Ashik HaSagdayla. During the times of the first Beis Hamikdash, Rabbi Yisrishim, Hechi Avi Avdi, what was davening like? What did people do? Was there a nusach? Was there a text? Or did people just stop? Everything was was just on their own. Umayhi Tzuluse, what was davening? Okay, so again, as far as we know, Pash Bashad, yeah, there was no nusach, but that's not what the Gainim responded. Kach Shemano, the Gainim said, this is a tradition that we have. It's true. By the first base of English, there was no full version of Shmanasrei, but there was a basic version of Shmanasrei that they had even 
predating the Anshin Hesagdoila that goes back to the first base of which was what? Brachis Avais Gvuris Akudushis Hashem, the Himshal Shushinus. There was the version, the, the, the original Nusach of Shman Esrei from the first base of Migdash already was the first three Brachas of Shman Esrei, and the final three Brachas of Shman Esrei. Though the, the, the original version of Shman Esrei Taka was by the first base of Migdash, first three Brachas and last three Brachas. The And says the Chuvas more than that, that was the original Nusach of Shemun Esrei by the first base of Megdash that everyone davened. When the Rambam says that, that, that before the Anshik Nesak Doyla, everyone had their own particular Nusach and they just spoke from their heart, says the Gainim, that's only for the middle brachas. The middle brachas, which are talking about personal requests, that there was no standardized nusach. That you say whatever you want, you speak about whatever you need that particular day, what's going on in your life. But, say the Gainim, but there was a nusach of Shmanasri. The first three brachas and last three brachas were taka the nusach. More than that, even after Anshik Nesak come and establish a Shmanasri that we have with all 18 or 19 brachas that every Jew now davens, but the Ga'inim point out that even during the times of the second Beis HaMikdash, there was a place where they held on to the original Nusach of the first Beis HaMikdash, and that was in the second Beis HaMikdash. The Mishnah Masechah's Tamid tells us, uh, it's one of the, the, one of the sugis that Mishnah and Tamid talk about, which is like the Seder HaYoyim, what was the, you know, what was the schedule of the Kahan and the Beis HaMikdash? And uh, what's clear over there, the Mishnah explains that the Kahan and the Beis HaMikdash they were preoccupied with, a, with, a, with the Avoida, and they didn't have time, or they didn't have to daven the full davening of Shachris. They didn't have to have a full Shachris. But they had something. They had something. They would say, Krishma, they would say something. <coughs> so what exactly was their Shemonesri like? In, again, not the regular Jews in the second base of time period had the full Nusach of davening that we have. But the Jews, the Kahanim in the, in the second base of Mikdash, what was their Shemonesri? So according to many Rishonim, it's a question of the Girsa in the Mishnah, but the Rambam, for example, and many other Rishonim have the following text in the Mishnah, that the Mishnah tells us that in the second Beis HaMikdash, the Kahanim in the second Beis HaMikdash, would daven a f- shorter version of Shemesrei of the first three brachas and the last three brachas. And so the Chuvas HaGa'inim are pointing out this amazing thing, that, that, that the fact that in the second Beis HaMikdash, the Kahanim in the Beis HaMikdash proper, would daven this shorter version of Shemesrei, the first three brachas and last three brachas, was not made up then. That was, in truth, the original Nusach of Shemesrei from the first Beis HaMikdash already. Just the second Beis HaMikdash time period by the Ashik all Yidin davened a full version of Shemesrei. They added, besides those six brachas, they added the middle brachas to make Shemesrei. But in the Beis HaMikdash proper, in the second Beis HaMikdash, the Kahanim held on to the original Nusach of the first three and the last three. And so what we see over here is an interesting thing, is that Again, we started with, with what the Ruch HaShulchan told us by Chazar Sashatz, is that the original takan of Chazar Sashatz was to say the first three brachas because you need Kedusha, and the last three brachas because you need Berchus Kahanim. Once we have that, then the second takana, the secondary takana was, okay, add in the middle ones for those people that are not Bikim, that they didn't daven Shemeneser properly, quietly. And so we said, like, where did this Nusach come from? Like, where is this idea coming from that you could even have a shorter version of Shemesre that only has the first three and the last three? The answer is, that was Taka, the original version of Shemesre. In the times of the first base of Megdash, that's what Shemesre looked like for every Yid. And even in the second base of Megdash, that's what Shemesre looked like for the Kahanim in the base of Megdash. And so Chazar Sashats are just continuing that Messiah of that original version of Shemana Esrei. Again, they, but, but, but once we see that there are people that are not Bikim, then they added to that basic version the rest of Shemana Esrei too. Okay, that's the uh, history of Shemana Esrei, I guess you can say. Okay, so the question though is, we have to investigate this now in Panemius. What's the sin exactly? What's the sin exactly? We find this interesting phenomenon, a connection that's being made between the davening of the first base of Megdash with the davening of the second base of Megdash, right? That the, 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 the Kahanim in the second base of Megdash were holding on to the Nusach of the first base of Megdash time period. Now, even though the explanation for that and Halach is because they were, they were, they were busy with Avodah's Karbanas, they didn't have time to do a full version of Shemeneser, right? But I think it's obvious that uh, there's got to be some deeper explanation in that. It's Bashkach or Pratis that in the second base of Megdash proper, the Nusach of davening in the second base of Megdash was the same Nusach as the Nusach that came before the Ashen Kazakh from the first base of Megdash time period. 
So the question is, what's the connection that's, that, that we're seeing between the first and second base of Miglish in this way, in this way of Davin Shpen without the middle brachas, and why is it re-emerging with Chazar Sashatz? Okay. Okay, so let's talk about this. The first base of Miglish versus the second base of Miglish. There's a... The Gemara tells us, and Yuma, other places, that there, are, that, the, that there was a number of differences between the first base of English and second base of English. They were, the Mishnah, the Chazal tell us that there were five things that existed in the first base of English that were missing in the second. Some of them very famous, uh, the Aaron, most importantly, the Aaron, the Ark of the Covenant, was not in the second base of English. Um, Nevuah was no longer by the second base of Megdash, the Vetumim, in the Kangal's breastplate was not found in the second base of Migdash. The fire that was on the Mizbeach was no longer miraculously in the shape of a lion like it was in the first base of Migdash. A number of differences. So what, what's the aside? Why, why these differences? So the morale in, um, in Sefer Netzach Yisrael, so he explains as follows. He says that the difference between the first base of Migdash and the second base of Migdash was not just... It's not like they were the same basic idea. Just you know, the first base English was greater. It had more, more uh, special effects. It had more stuff to it. The morale says that the f- the fundamental function of what the base Hamikdash means and what it is was different from the first base Hamikdash to the second base Hamikdash. Says the morale, the function, the purpose, the essence of the first base Hamikdash was primarily a place that represented God's presence. It was, in the language of the Ra'al, it was mitzad ha-noisein. It was, the, fu- the function of the first base of English was to be a place for Ashura Sashchina. It was a place for the Divine Presence. That's why it needs an Aaron. That's why there's Nevoah. That's why it's full of miracles. The whole Indian of Beis HaMikdash, Rishon, was to be a place which represents the Rabbani Shalom which represents the Shechina. That's why, says the Ra'al, the Averis that the Jewish people committed which caused the destruction of the first base of Megdash, were various that are always associated with repelling the Shechina, with repelling Kedusha. Avodizara, Gilarai, Shvichas Damim. The Moral explains at length over there in the beginning of Netzach Yisrael that each one of those Averis we find in Tanakh and Chazal, they're all described as a Tumah. As a Tumah. A Tumah that repels Kedusha. Avodizara is called a Tumah. Gilarai is called a Tumah. Shvichas is called a Tumah. And those that are various that destroyed the first base of Middash because that was the function of the first base of Middash to be a place of Ashurai Seshchin, a place of Kedusha, of Kedusha's Elokus, the, the, the holiness of God, godliness. And so these are various repel godliness. But says the morale, that's not the essential function of second base of Middash. Second base of Middash, the, the primary function was not to be a place which represents the Shechina, not to be a place that represents the Rabbani Shalom and his Kedusha. Rather, the function of second base of Middash was to be a place that represents the Jewish people and a place that unifies the Jewish people as one central people. He quotes the Gemara over there, again, the beginning of the Netzach Yisrael. The Gemara says that the Maila of the second base of Middash was that it was Mizbech Achas and Kayan Achas. It was one centralized location for Avaida that the whole Jewish people can rally around. It, 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 it defined the Jewish people as one people, which is beautiful and amazing. That's an entirely different idea than the first base of Migdash. The first base of Migdash was a place in which Hashem Echad was being revealed, where Hashem Echad was being manifest. It was a place of Yichud Hashem. The second base of Migdash is a place of not Hashem Echad, but rather a place of of, of Yisrael Achas, of Goy Echad Baritz. It was a place representing and reflecting the unity of the Jewish people. Now that's beautiful, that's amazing. And that's why, says the morale, the second base of Migdash was not destroyed because of Gilei Raya, so the Zar Rather, it was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. Because Sinas Chinam, which is an Avera that shows a division within the Jewish people, that's the opposite of what the second base of Migdash was. And so that, these are the two Inyanim. First base of Migdash and second base of Migdash. So, that, so it would seem that <clears throat> although each bias is beautiful on, her, on their own, first base of Migdash representing Hashem Echad, and the second base of Migdash representing Yisrael Achas, Goyachad Baretz, each one is beautiful, but Lamaisa they're different. Lamaisa they're separate. But here's where we have to go more into Pneumius. What exactly, you see, you know, there's a famous line from the Balatanya and Sefer Tanya that what is the definition of a Yid? What defines a Yid? What defines a Yid? See, is a Yid just simply like a human being with more responsibilities, with uh, 
a more significant mission statement, where we're being focused on more by Hashem's gaze, like what exactly is a Yid? So the Tanya says famously that what a Yid is, is a chilek elaka mimal mamish. You could define a Yid based on the body. And when you define a Yid based on the body, no, okay, so, uh, so he's a human being. There's a lot of human beings out there. But the real way to define a Yid is based on the neshama. And what is the neshama? The neshama is an expression and, 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 and a reflection of Hashem Echad. So the, 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 in Pneumius, what the second Beis HaMikdash is, which is a reflection of the Jewish people, and the first Beis HaMikdash, which is a reflection of the Shechina Kedusha, it's one and the same. Because who are the Jewish people? The Jewish people are a chelik al-kabi mamish. We are an extension of the Rabbanu Shalom in this world. It's one and the same. I'll give you an example. I mentioned this in, on Shabbos a couple of weeks ago. The, the, the Rambam in Hilchas Beis of Achira, where he talks about the, uh, you know, what happened to the Aaron, right? So we know in the Gemara there's Machlokas, what happened to the Aaron exactly. So the Rambam Paskins in Hilchas Beis of Achira, he says the following thing that what happened was that he says like this when Shloim HaMelech built the first Beis of Migdash, so he knew it was going to be destroyed. So Mimela, when he built the Kodesh HaKodshim, he built secret tunnels and passageways, confusing tunnels underneath, knowing that when the time would come, the Aaron would be hidden in those inner chambers. And says the Ram continues, and later on, by the times of King Yoshio HaMelech, Yoshio told the Kahanim of the time to carry the Aaron and to bring it into its, into its house, uh, into that room in the inner chamber, all the way down underneath the Kodesh HaKodshim in those tunnels. And that's the Rambam says, and that's where the Aron Akadish is. Okay, so first you may ask, like, first of all, what's the difference where the Aron is? Uh, you know, the, the Rambam doesn't have to tell us. Ram doesn't have to tell us where the Aron is. It's a historical fact. What's the Nafkimin? That's first of all. Second of all, if the Rambam is telling us for whatever reason he finds it necessary to tell us where the Aron is, why is such darichas? That when Shlomo Melch built the Beis Hamikdash, he built these hidden passageways, and Yoshio Melch was the one that died. Just, just tell us the Aaron is underneath the Kodesh Hakodesh somewhere, and then leave it to the Kesef Mishnah and the and the Mefarshim to give you the Marmakaimis where the Ram is getting this from. Uh, why does the Ram have to be so marach? So I mentioned a vart from the Rogatchaver. The Rogatchaver said what the Ram is trying to hint to us is, is that we should not think that the Aaron did not exist in second base of English. The Aaron was removed from the Kodesh HaKadshim, and it was stored somewhere else, but it wasn't in the second base of Migdash. Exactly that the Ram is coming to say is not true. The Ram is trying to tell us that when Shleim HaMelech built the first base of Migdash, he built two Kodesh HaKadshims. He built one revealed Kodesh HaKadshim, which was the place for the Aaron for the vast majority of the first base of Migdash's time period, but he built a hidden Kodesh HaKadshim. It wasn't a, a tunnel somewhere to hide the Aaron, take it out of its place. It was a second Kodesh HaKadshim that was just hidden. It was a, a, a more nister Kodesh HaKadshim. And when Yoshio HaMelech brought the Aaron into that Kodesh HaKadshim, it wasn't uh, taking the Aaron away from Beis HaMikdash, it was putting it in its second Kodesh HaKadshim. And said the Rogachover, that, and, and the reason why this is necessary is because it's, it, it's, the Ram is trying to tell us that for the second Beis HaMikdash, there was an Aaron in the Kaddish HaKadshim. It wasn't in the revealed Kaddish HaKadshim of the second Beis HaMikdash, but it was in the hidden Kaddish HaKadshim of the second Beis HaMikdash. So the question is why, okay, what, so, so what this tells us in Pneumius is this idea, is that what the second Beis HaMikdash represents, which is Yidin, so the first Beis HaMikdash represents the Shechina, and the second Beis HaMikdash represents Yidin, so on the outside, in Chitzonius, it means the Aaron, which is the place of God and the place of divine presence, is not in the second base of Middash, because the second base of Middash is about Yid, not God. But in Pneumius, the Aaron is in the second base of Middash. It's in a Pneumius Teka Kodesh HaKadshim, because the Pneumius of a Yid is a Chelek Kami Mal Mamish, which is an extension of God. More than that, when does this truth of what a Yid is as being a chelik al-kami mamish when does that become manifest? When does that inner reality of what the Jewish people are, when does it express itself? It expresses itself when the Jewish people are unified as one people. We say this Friday night in davening, when we have kegavna. So Friday night in davening, we say that the Rabbani Shloylam in the higher world is echad. That just as the Rabbani Shlalem is one in the higher world, so as soon as the Jewish people in this world unite themselves in the secret of oneness, then the oneness of Hashem above 
can be seen as reflected in the oneness of the Jewish people below. In other words, this inner truth of what the of what the Jewish people are, which is a chelak kami mal mamish, an extension of God in this world, is is one hundred percent true always. But it but it materializes. It's able to be expressed davka when the Jewish people are able to match and align themselves with Hashem echad above. When the Jewish people are goy echad ba'aretz, then the oneness of Hashem above and the oneness of the Jewish people below can then be seen as a reflection of each other. So these, the, so when the morale said that the second base of Mikdash's function is to be a place in which the Jewish people are united, that's not that, that that's that's the catalyst. Once you have that in place, that the Jewish people are now considered to be one people under one. Uh, united uh, Kayach called the second Beis HaMikdash, now their oneness can then be seen in a deeper lens as a reflection of Hashem's oneness. So in Pneumius, the first Beis HaMikdash and second Beis HaMikdash are mamish the same. The first Beis HaMikdash is a reflection of Hashem Echad. The second Beis HaMikdash, which, is a re- which, which creates the Jewish people as being Goy Echad, as one people, that that one people can now be seen as a reflection of Hashem Echad. So the first base of and second base of the is one in that way, in Pneumius. <clears throat> now Rabbi Nachman, in the first piece in, um, in, Netz, in, in, in Lekut Moran, explains, he talks about the, the sugi he's dealing with, we're not going to go through all the details right now, but Rabbi Nachman is dealing with the, with the following question, is that, you know, what's a good way to get our feels answered? Why are feels not answered? Sometimes, you know, you make a request, and uh, you feel like the answer was no. So what's the Eitzah? So, again, without getting into the pratim of what that Eitz is, but just the basic idea that Rabbi Nachman reveals over there. So Rabbi Nachman says like this. He says, if, if we have this dynamic of, okay, there's the Rabbi Shloilam, there's the Shechina, there's, there's God on one side of the table, and then there's you, then there's the Mispal, there's the Daviner, there's the Jew. And now you're making your request. Okay, so then you have to, you have to say your request, the Rabbi Nachman, you know, it, it's not, it's not uh, you know, taken for granted that he just knows what you're thinking. You have to say what you want, and then the Rabbanu Shalom takes it under consideration. Maybe the answer is yes, hopefully. Maybe the answer is no. But says Rabbi Nachman, but if we can establish within ourselves a reality that we are extensions of Elikus, that we define ourselves as a chelik al-kami mamish, then automatically what you want is what the Rabbanu Shalom wants. Automatically what you want is what the Rabbanu Shalom wants. Lamashal, if you have a kid and, and the child really, really wants something and needs something, it's not a narjazach, like the kid really needs help and really needs something, then it's not the shot the kid has to make the request of the parent and the parent thinks about it, okay, fine, I'll do it. The, the, the need of the child becomes the need of the parent. The child is, is an extension of the parent. There's in, the, in the heart of the parent, there's room for the child to exist. The child exists within the heart of the parent. The, the, requ- the child doesn't have to make the request. It's automatic what the child wants is automatically what the father wants. So Rabbi says, if we can establish this inyan of what? Of uh, we are reflections of Elikos, then automatically our requ- we, we don't have to even articulate the request. Automatically what we need is what the Rabbani Shalom needs. Let's go back. This is why in Pneumius, the Nusach of Davening in first base of English and second base of English was the same, which was first three brachas and last three brachas, but no bakashas, no middle brachas of making requests. You know why? Because in Pneumius, the, the need to make requests is unnecessary. Because once you establish that what? That you're an extension of Elikos, which is the unifying nakuda of first base Mikdash and second base Mikdash. Again, the first base Mikdash is Hashem Echad, and the second base Mikdash is Mikam Chisok Goy Echad Baritz. And that situation of the Jewish people being one can then be seen as a reflection of God's oneness, then automatically your requests are God's requests. You don't have to, you don't have to even say it. Whatever you need, God, ready, God, God automatically needs through you. And so this is the nakuda. Instead of thinking of first base English and second base English as separate, Davki and the Nusach of Shemun Esrei, Chazal are, are hinting to the absolute oneness that exists between first and second base English, and they're expressing that connection 
in this way that Shemana Esrei does not require middle brachas. It does not require particular requests. Automatically, what you want is what the Rabbanu Shalom wants. And that's all true once we see the first base of and second base of as being one. Once you see the Jewish person as a chelik al kamim al it's an automatic. It's automatic, that's what you, that's where you come from. This is also why... In the second base of Migdash, we know uh, this is this is also well known that the second base of Migdash was a time where there's a great shift in Torah as well. The first base of Migdash was primarily a time of Torah Shabbat of the Oral Torah. It was a, it was it, the Yiddishkeit was 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 focused on what the Rebbeinu Shalom is telling us. The second base of Migdash that was a time that was focused on the development of Torah Shabbat of the Oral Torah of of the Torah that we come up with on our own. And so you have to think about that. What is Tarsh Peh? I mean, the definition of Torah is what God says, right? It's, 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 it's godly wisdom, godly ideas, godly mitzvahs. That's what Torah means. So what does it even mean, Tarsh Peh, that we are creating Torah? How does it even mean? If we're creating it, it means it's not from God. But the answer is, that's exactly the secret of the second base in English. The panemius of second base of English is, is that it's the same as the first base of English. The Shemana Esri, the davening of the second base of English was the first as the same base as the first base of English. It was the same as the first. In Pneumius, what a Jew, what the Jewish people are is an extension of Elikos. As long as we are Goy Echad Baretz, then our Echad Baretz is an ex, is an, is, a, is a reflection of Hashem Echad Bashamai Mimal. And so therefore the Torah that we come up with in the second base of English, of course, is a reflection of God's Torah. Which, by the way, this is why, in order to be zaycha, that your taira is accepted as tarsh bal peh, and as and, and and is accepted as halacha, we find this in Chazal that if a person is humble and a person sees themselves as half and sees themselves as just a piece of the larger entity of the Jewish people, then your taira will be matzliach. Your your ideas will def- be defined as taira. The Gemara says that we all know Beisham and Basil disagree with each other for, for a long time, you know? And the Gemara says that really Beishamai were deeper thinkers. They were, they, they were sharper thinkers. So why do we pass them like Basil? So the Gemara says we pass them like Basil because they were more humble than Beishamai. What, is, what does humility have to do with being able to decide halacha? Well, the answer is, in order for your words to be considered Torah, it means that you have to be seen as a reflection of Hashem's oneness. You have, to be, you have to see yourself as a chelik alakami mal mamish. But the only way how you could be seen as a reflection of Hashem's oneness is if you see yourself as one with the Jewish people. When the Jewish people are goy echad ba'aretz, then, that, then, that then they can be seen as a reflection of Hashem echad. And, and therefore, the more humble a person is, the more they see themselves as just one of the a part of the collective whole of the Jewish people, the more automatically they're they're an expression of Hashem's, of Hashem's Echad, and their Torah is considered to be Torah's Hashem. But the more, uh, the more separate a person makes themselves from the rest of the Jewish people, then to that extent, their words are not going to be seen as an extension of Hashem Echad. Because only a Goy Echad can be seen as an extension of Hashem Echad. This is why, again, Basil, the Torah of Basil is a Torah that is more defined as Torah Hashem because of their humility, because of them seeing themselves as just part of the bigger entity of the Jewish people. And that, that's where their humility came from. We, say that we see the same thing when it comes to tefillah, that the kaych of tefillah is more powerful the more a person is humble, the more a person sees themselves as just part of the collective whole of the Jewish people. The, the famous Gemara in Tainus, the Gemara says in Maiz, that there was a drought, <coughs> and um, it says that uh, Rabbi Lazar got up to Davin, and he's Davin, he's Davin for rain to come, and nothing happens. And then Rabbi Kiva gets up, and Rabbi Kiva just says one sentence, he says, Avinu malkeinu, ein lanu melech elata, Ranisham, you're our king. And then all of a sudden it starts to rain. So everyone starts to think, maybe Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar. So Rabbi says, no, 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 Rabbi Kiva is not greater than Rabbi Lazar, but Rabbi Kiva has a mila in the fact that he that he's uh, he, he's 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 maver al He always uh, he, people people can can say not nice things about him, or and he doesn't care. He's always he lets things slide. He just lets things slide. He's humble like that. But it's an amazing thing. What what why does that cause his feels to be answered? More than that, Rabbi Kiv didn't even daven for rain. He didn't even say a word about rain. All he said was Rabbanu Shalom, you're our king. And in his heart, he wants rain, but he didn't even have to say it. 
The answer is because that's the secret over here. Because Rabbi Kiva sees himself as part of Goy Echad Baritz, and that's why he always lets things slide, because it's not me, I'm just, I'm just one of the Chavra, I'm just one of the Jewish people. So automatically, his, his, then, then he can be seen as an extension of Hashem Echad, as he died, we all know Rabbi Kiva died with the words Hashem looking Hashem Echad on his, on his lips. And to Mimela, of course, his needs are automatically Hashem's needs. He doesn't have to daven. He doesn't have to say the words. And so this is the secret of the davening, the united davening of Bayis Rishon and Bayis Sheni. And this is the secret, this is the secret of Chazar Sashatz. What's the Enyo Chazar Sashatz? The Ritva in Mesechus Rosh Hashanah, many Rishonim explain that the, halachically, the concept of Chazar Sashatz is that you have a Chazan getting up there, and he's saying Shemun Esrei, and he's being mighty, those people that didn't know how to daven, right? He's, or he's davening for the whole Tzibur. The Ritva and the Rishonim explain that the, 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 the mechanics of Chazar Sashatz is, is that the Chazan, the, the entire Tzibor are now being redefined as one single entity. And that one single organism that's called the Tzibor has a mouthpiece that's called the Chazan. So the whole Indian of Chazar Sashatz is, 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 is the Tzibor being, being, being reconstituted, not as a bunch of individuals davening in the same room. It's literally Goy Echad Baritz. It's one entity. It's one organism. It's one Klal Yisrael. It's one Klal Yisrael. So automatically, when it comes to Chazar Sashatz, that reality of being able to see yourself as one collective, uh, as, as part of that collective Tzibor, where it's not me and it's not him. It's us. It's one essence. It's one unity, one organism. It's the second Beis HaMikdash, where we have one Mizbeach, one Kain Gadol. Like the Moral says, the second Beis HaMikdash makes us one nation. Then that, in, a, in, a, in a smaller version of that, you have that with every Tzibor by Chazar Sashatz. Then automatically, they're... Then, then they can be seen as a reflection of Hashem Echad. And like Rabbi Nachman said, then you don't have to make any bakashas. And whatever you want, the Rabbani Shalom wants, just like Rabbi Akiva. So of course, therefore, by Chazar Sashat, you're going to have this reemergence of the Nusach of Shemun of the first base of Megdash and second base of Megdash united, which is the first three brachas and last three brachas, without a need to say the bakashas in the middle. Because again, the whole need to say bakashas in the middle is what? Is if you don't see yourself as part of Goy Echad Bartz, as part of this one entity of the Jewish people. Then there's you and there's God, and you have to make your personal requests. And maybe the answer is yes, and maybe the answer is no. But once you can see yourself as what? As part of the Jewish people, which is Echad Ba'aretz, and Memela, the Echad, the oneness of the Jewish people below, can then be seen as a reflection of the oneness of Hashem above. So then automatically you don't have to make any requests, just like there wasn't necessary to make requests in the first and second base of Migdash, because that's the essence. The essence is, is that the Jewish people and the Rabbanu Shalom are one. The Shechinah Daesh and the Jewish people are one. <clears throat> this is all hinted to, oh, it's getting late, this is all hinted to in two divine names, two Shemus HaKtoshim. The Zarah Kaddish tells us there are two divine names that when they're united, it's called Shmei Shalim. It's called a full, full, uh, complete name. And that's Yudke Vavke and the name Elohim. Yudke Vavke, in our context, to explain that, Yudke Vavke means the Shechina. It means the Rabbani Shlolem. That's God. That's the first base in English. The name Elohim means what? It means teva. That's the famously the word Elokim means the gematria of havateva, which is nature. That means this world. That means the Jewish people. That's the name Elokim. The, the secret of what we're talking about is connecting Yudke Vavke and Elokim. To recognize that the Jewish people, which is represented by the name Elokim, the name Elokim means the one that's in charge of the many kaiches. That's meaning uh, acknowledging that there's a creation, acknowledging there's nature, acknowledging that there's a people to receive from the Rabbani Shalom. So to, to, to recognize this truth that we're talking about, that the oneness of the Jewish people is taka reflection of Hashem's oneness. Our tefillahs are Hashem's tefillahs. Our tyrus is Hashem's tyrus. So that means connecting Yudke Vavke and Elokim. The gematria of Yudke Vavke and Elokim equals the word Baki, the word Baki. Chazar Sashat does not require the middle brachas for those that are Baki, for those that are Baki. If you're Baki, if you can see yourself as a bottle, as nullified to the Jewish people, and you don't have to see yourself as an individual person with your own inyan in your own little universe. You can see yourself like Rabbi Kiva and like Beis Hillel. You can see yourself as part of the collective whole of the tzibur. That's called Yerubaki. Then you can see Elokim as a reflection of Yerke Vavke, and they come together. Chazal 
were forced to be misakin in Chazar Sashatz to add the middle bakashas and to actually force people to express their bakashas, because there were yidin that they saw they did not have this mindset. It doesn't just mean pasha that there were yidin that don't know how to read. It means that what if you have a yid that's not holding in this madrega? He can't see himself. He's not humble enough. He's not patient enough. He can't see himself as part of the collective whole. There's too much gaiv in his heart. So for such a person, he's not a baki. He can't unite yud kevavke and elokim. He can't see that. And so memela, memela to such a yid, we have no choice but to express our bakashas, to say our bakashas out loud. It doesn't become, it's not taken for granted that's the Rabbanishal's bakashas because there's a lack of his achdos down here in this world with the rest of the Jewish people, thus not allowing Hashem's achdos to manifest through him. And he can't see himself as an extension of Yudke Vavke. His Elokim can't be seen as an extension of Yudke Vavke. That's what it means. This is all hinted to in the concept of Machsa Shekel by the Mishkan. The Mishkan was the, was the first temple that was the forebearer that would eventually lead to the first base of English and second base of English. It means the Mishkan has to contain this secret of what? Of a place that's full of divine presence, that's, that's a place that represents Hashem, but at the same time also represents the Jewish people. And not just the Jewish people, but the Jewish people in a state of oneness and allowing Hashem's oneness to be manifest through them. That's exactly what Machsa Shekel is. Machsa Shekel means that every single Yid gives half a coin. Why half a coin, we said? Because half a coin means I am nothing without my other without my other half, which is the Jewish people. I am nothing without the other yid. I am not a full entity. My existence is part of the collective whole. That's and and once you have that in place, then yeah, then your essence is a reflection of Hashem's essence. And then the Mishkan can be a place of Asli Mikdash Vishekhanti Bisaicham. It could be a place where Hashem resides in the Mishkan, where there was an Aaron in a revealed way, but it's also considered to be a place that Hashem is residing within each and every Jew. So which one is it? The answer is, is, is Hashem in the Mishkan or is Hashem in every Jew? The answer is one and the same. As long as the Jewish people are ba'achtas, then automatically their achtas is a reflection of Hashem's achtas. This is the secret of Moshe Rabbeinu's mask. We asked in the beginning, what's the significance of, Hashem's, of Moshe Rabbeinu's mask? The truth is, we have to think about this further. What's the Indian b'chalal of the Jewish people being intimidated by the light of Moshe Rabbeinu? See, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down with the second luchas. You know what the second luchas are? The second luchas are Torah Peh. The Chazal say that the first luchas would have been a Torah that's predominantly from God's side. The second luchas leaves room for the Jewish people to innovate, for the Jewish people to create Torah. The fact that the, that the light of Moshe Rabbeinu's face is overwhelming the Jewish people and they feel intimidated by that is all because of a lack of their realization that they're extensions of the Rabbani Shalom. If a Jew can see themselves, the, themselves as an extension of God, then of course you're not going to be intimidated by God. How could you be intimidated by God? Why should there be a Jew that feels that they're outside of Yiddishkeit, outside of Torah mitzvahs? What does that mean? You're an extension of the Rabbani Shalom. Hashem is one and you're a one. You're a chelik of the Kamim al-Mamish. What does it even mean that a Jew should be afraid and shouldn't be able to bear the sight of the glow of Moshe Rabbeinu? His, the glow of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is the glow of Hashem in this world, is your glow. It's, it's, it's coming from you. It's coming from you. In order to fix that mistake, in order to bring together Yud Kevavka and Elohim, to allow the Jewish people to allow themselves to receive the light of Moshe Rabbeinu's face, by, by them being, by, 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 by them realizing that Moshe's light is their light, and it's not, they're, they're, not receive, they're not standing opposed to, uh, on the other side of the table is like Hashem. No, that Hashem's light is your light. It's coming from you. It's coming through you. In order to fix that, to bring together Yud Kevav to bring together the first and second base of Megdash, to allow the Jewish people to innovate in Torah, to create Torah Shbalpeh, that their Torah is Torah Hashem. Their Tfilas are Tfilas Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu puts on the Masveh. The gematria, the word masve, mem samach vav hey, equals exactly yud kevav ken elokim with the koil. Yud kevav ken elokim, that's the word masve. Just like the word baki. And so this is the secret of Moshe Rabbeinu's mask. When Moshe Rabbeinu puts on the mask, what he's, ha- what he's doing is uniting that world of avaya and elokim, revealing to the Jewish people this essential truth that there's no reason to be intimidated by his light, because Moshe's light is their light. You are one, and Hashem is one. And Hashem's oneness is reflected through you. And you're a perfect shidduch with Torah, you're a perfect shidduch with the Rabbanishim, so much so that your, your ideas are Hashem's ideas. 
<clears throat> this is all the secret of Purim. The whole Indian of Purim is this. Purim is a yanta where the Jewish people re-accepted the Torah and specifically the light of Tersh Peh. So the whole Indian of Purim is that the Rabbanu Shloilam is that there, there's, there's human hishtalas taking place. Mordechai and Esther are coming up with cheshbonis. Really, there's no open miracles, right? God is not obvious in the entire Megillus Esther. It's all human beings working things out. But it's clearly that the Rabbanu Shalom is working through them. And Hashem is, 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 is sort of manipulating the whole situation through them. So the whole Indian of Purim is this idea that that we are reflections and shluchim and extensions of the Rabbanu Shalom. The whole end of Purim is Yud Kevavke with Elohim. That's the whole end of Purim. And that's why by Purim, in order to allow that truth to be revealed, Purim is so much about Achdus at the same time. Because in order for the Hashem Echad to be able to be manifest through the Jewish people, we have to be Goy Echad Bards. So Melan Purim, there's the Nir Shalach Manis, and Matanas Yainim, and Suda, in order to create Achdus. Why, why, why is Achdus so essential? The answer is Achdus is there to allow this truth to be revealed. You cannot have Hashem's Echad being revealed through the Jewish people, unless the Jewish people are, are, are matching up with that echad as being a goy echad. Once the Jewish people are ba'achdas because of, you know, because of the Yantav Purim, so Mimela, the Rabbi can then be seen as working, as guiding the world through us as well. And that's exactly why in Purim, it's that, that's the connection between Machsa Shekel and the mask and Purim. Because that's exactly what Purim is about. Purim, the whole Indian of Purim is this Indian of of not being, of not, of not even having to ask, right? Perm is a chazal, you know. Chazal say kol Anyone that puts out his hand automatically is given. Whatever you ask for in perm is, is answered. Why? Where does that come from? The answer is because that's this inyan. The the great achdus of the Jewish people that expresses itself on perm allows this truth of yudkevavke elokim to be expressed. Well, you don't have to make the personal bakashas. Whatever you want is what the rebbeinu wants anyway. So it's uh, your tire is Hashem's tire. Your, your tefillahs are Hashem's tefillahs. Well, that's why there's such an end of Purim Tyra, right? I mean, if you think about it, right? Like, it, it's a joke. I mean, you know, people say Purim Tyra. But Purim Tyra is, uh, it's a pell if you think about it. Like, in order for something to be considered to be Tyra, it has to make sense. But all of a sudden, when it comes to Purim, people say Tyra, but it's a little bit funny. But then it's not Tyra. So what are you doing? Like, you're just not making litzanas, making jokes. Make jokes that are not related to Tyra. What are you making? You're taking Tyra and you're making jokes of it. The answer is because, again, the, 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 whatever you, on Purim, if you can be in this Bechina of Yudke Vavke Elokim, then any idea that you have is Dvar Hashem. Any Torah idea that you have, as funny as it might be, is Torah. Because it's, uh, you're an extension of that. You're a Chelek Elokim Mamish. That's the side of Purim. That's the secret of Purim. We should be zeichet to unite ourselves, to see ourselves as just part of Am Yisrael, that amazing, amazing entity of Am Yisrael. And Mela, once we see ourselves as Am Yisrael, then all there is is one: is Hashem Echad, and uh, you know, uh, you know, That's why you know, just uh, the Kamarna mentions that the first pasuk in Parshas Kisisa, Kisisa is Rosh Yisrael of Kudehem, and so on. So the Kamarna says that equals Begamatria, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokin Hashem Echad twice. One for Kriyishma Shalshacharis, one for Kriyishma Shalarvis. Because that's the Nakudov here. You see yourself as a Machsa Shekel, then you're able to have an Achdos with the Jewish people. And then mainly you, you could accept upon yourself Hashem Elokin Hashem Echad. That's what Hashem Elokin Hashem Echad literally means, right? Rashi says Hashem Elokin Hashem Echad means that right now it looks like in this world there's Hashem, there's Yudke Vavke, and there's Elokim. But Lasa Lava, it'll be Hashem, Havaya Elokinu, Havaya Echad. That Hashem, that Yudke Vavke, Elokim will be one. That's the Bikiyas, that's the Masva of Moshe Rabbeinu, that's the secret of Purim. We should be in a state of Achdus and uh, be able to see ourselves in such a way and to feel the Rabbanish pulsating through us and guiding us to become the people we have to become. Be as called Tzedek, Meher Amen.